Cheers. I'm Gavin. Oh, such a ring. That's a great ring. I'm Ken. <laughs> Welcome to Diplomacy Games. Uh, a game, uh, a game, a podcast where we talk about all things diplomacy whilst having some responsible imbibation, imbibing, imbibing, imbibing <laughs> responsibly. Yeah. Um, today we're at the Antica. Antica or Antico? I don't know. Antico uh, bar in. Uh, in Downtown Brisbane. Yep. We've been here before. It was a different name of a. Of a... It used to be Super Whatnot, which I think was like. Yeah. It was like one of the early, early episodes, like episode four or five or something like that. Because it is familiar. It's a very classy kind of uh, looking place. <laughs> Dimmed lights, which is nice. Uh, it's got a loft, which is where we're sitting. There's a chandelier. Yep. It's. Uh, how would you say the decor would be? Oh, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a New York New York cocktail bar or whatever, maybe. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, yeah. Manhattan cocktail bar. Manhattan maybe. cocktail bar. Yeah. I'm drinking a Stones of War, Stones and Woods Pale Ale. Uh huh. Pacific. No, it's a pale ale. Or is it a Pacific Lager? No, it's a pale ale. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah whatever it is. And you're and having a. I'm having a multi multi. I don't even get this word right. Multi piano. Which is like a variety of grape, an Italian grape from uh, the Abruzzo region in, in Italy. I don't know about what the actual label was. I didn't pick up what the label was when he bought it. Is it nice? As an opening, how, how's it as an opening? Oh, it's something. Well, let's see. This is an Italian analogy. Yeah. Um, it's it's okay. Well, obviously, maybe maybe it's actually like it's a good wine. So it's more than just like grabbing tunas. Okay. But it's nothing like, you know, a dastardly stab on Austria by taking Trieste or whatever. But maybe it's something that I've negotiated with with, with Austria. Maybe okay. I've got Greece, or maybe we've kind of set things up for a very surreptitious Lepanto, or... We've worked something out. Maybe it's a Jamal opening by moving Venice to Tyrolia. Maybe. Maybe. It <laughs> <laughs> gives, gives you options. And how about yours as an opening? Um, yeah, scrumptious. I'd, I'd say, uh, what's, what's a country that's scrumptious to pull? Maybe, uh, scrumptious, scrumptious, scrumptious. I'll probably lean towards Germany as a scrumptious country. Okay. Or maybe Austria. No, German, let's say a German open. And it's, uh, it's a good solid start. Not a, not a, not a, um, a you know, a WDC, you know, best Russia type of scenario, is it? No, 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 no. Not that. Um, but it's definitely a solid opening. Uh, it's it's not a free build, but it's one that I'm happy. We well, don't want to put too much of a target on your back, do you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not the most powerful beer on the menu either, so yeah, it's just right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is um, so. As we said before, Super Whatnot closed down about six months ago, and then like the bars were stacked vacant for about three months. Right. Okay. And then the same. The same mob that owned Death and Taxes and Dr. Gimlet and everything bought this oh, one. Oh, really? So, yeah. uh, which is kind of why the decor and everything is the experience is very similar. Right, okay. It's got, definitely got a bit of a theme going on with those guys, mm. doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Wow, they're making a bit of a chain for themselves, aren't they? Different little unique yeah, yeah. bars around town. Anyway, anyway. cheers. Cheers. 
That wasn't as good with those clickers on that. It's the shape of the glass. It's kind of like a, a like a wide tulip bud type of thing. So it kind of concaves. So you got your stem. It goes out. That concaves out, and then what's what do you call when it comes convexes in, and then concaves out again. Yep. Almost like a massive. Well, it's almost like a rose. That's like a. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um. So we're back in Australia after WDC. Yeah. Our first recording since. How are you settling back in? I must admit, um, how do I say this nicely? I kind of, I kind of miss my tie time. Tie time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's just such a wonderful, chill experience, and um, I, you know, just, it was kind of like. Within moments of arriving back in Australia, because I kind of came in by Sydney Airport and had to wait a few hours for um, oh, yes. yep, yep. Uh, my flight up to Brisbane. I'm just sitting in the airport, just watching the hustle and bustle, and everyone's all go, go, go. And and then you kind of come back to home, and you know, there's, there's certain things going on that all of a sudden you go from this more chill atmosphere back to, right, shit, okay, now I need to kind of deal with real life again. Real life comes crashing back, eh? Yeah. yeah. But it wouldn't have been as bad as, as you. You had a much longer time off. Three weeks. So I spent two weeks on the other side of WDC just checking out a bit of Thailand, really, in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I went up to uh, the Korat Plateau. Um, spent some time in a little town called Pimai, which is it's like a, a temple. It's got a town that's kind of grown up around A Khmer temple with a town that's grown up around it. So it's around these ruins. Rarely visited by Westerners, uh, so I was able to just over the course. I was, I was there for three days in the end, just to take my time. And I didn't, I kid you, I didn't see one single foreigner. <laughs> I was the only one there, right? No, that's, that's, a, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. It's lovely ancient old trees, and it's been lovingly looked after, and elements of it have been restored. And, you know, you go to those necks of the woods where there's less tourists, and you end up with situations like a um, like the, like the lady at the ticket box, so excited to say, "Oh, foreigner! Oh, it's great!" She actually <laughs> take a photo, and she takes a photo oh, of really? me. That's kind of proof. Wow. It wasn't the only time it happened either. It happened also in um, in Ayutthaya, which is a more frequently visited place. Yeah, it's like a day trip from from Bangkok, Bangkok right? Um, but I went to a part of that of that ruins that's very rarely visited by Westerners, and yep. it's um, which is surprises me, but not really. But it, it's it's, it's the, probably just not in the guidebooks and in the you know the Instagram reels. Well, and things, yeah, it wasn't so. very Instagrammable. But it was uh, it's a place called Barn Hollanda, which is um, the Dutch town. Oh yeah, right. I remember you yeah, sent me yeah. through. It was like the foundations and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was no one, no other Westerner was going there, and like, you know, go in there, and there's a nice museum, and there's some really good maps and, stuff, and items and things. Uh, it was really quite well done. The historical narrative of what the European uh, experience was, while Siam was still a powerful country. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, the lady there, she, you know, I got through and 
looking at all the displays and reading and she comes up and goes, can I take a photo? <laughs> takes a photo of me while I'm, while I'm in there, you know? I think. I think said, also, I, I, I think heard, I think I heard also, you got Best Russia. Can I, I have a photo? Can I have a photo, yeah. <laughs> um, probably also, like, the whole tourist industry is probably recovering from the yeah. COVID as on top of it as well. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, I had a great time. I, um, yeah, definitely got to spend some time just not thinking about Australia or anything like that. It was just nice. Yeah. Lovely. But now I'm back, back to the grindstone. Like you. And we, for a brief moment, we got to uh, recap on our um, Thai travels or our Thai experience. We sure did. With an interview with Bradley Grace. Which was fantastic. I had a, uh, Brad, we met at WDC uh, over from England. And he, in, in my personal opinion, has one of his, uh, uh, one of the finer minds when it comes to the strategy and the tactics employed on the board. And it was, a, it was a pleasure to actually catch up with him and talk over well, what was new, a new medium to us, Zoom. Um, yeah, just to, to talk about well, all things related to, to, to WBC and the game. So, so um, for listeners, um, well, we'll put a little bit of caveats because we tried some new tech. Um, let's just say it didn't go exactly to plan. Half, Sorry, about 13 minutes or 10 minutes in, for some reason, the whole system just shat itself and I kind of cut out and then we kind of, I came back in. So all that bit was recorded, surprisingly. The second bit was then recorded. Right. But because we tried out with doing a Zoom, it has certain limitations, unless you want to kind of get out the checkbook, so to speak. So um, we were only using the freebie version, which means you can only record for 40 minutes. So we, once we started getting close to that 40 minute mark, we said, okay, okay, we'll just um, put a hold on this and we'll start another one. And we recorded up to that point of time. And then we had another great conversation with Brad for about half an hour. But for goodness knows what reason. Unfortunately, it wasn't It recorded. wasn't recording. Um, which, is a, which is a shame. And we'll be definitely reaching out to Brad to see if we can't get him on blower again uh, down the track because there was some good conversation yeah. back then and you know I think I mean our experience was uh, Zoom was no less flaky than Skype it's gone. <laughs> and if you wanted to kind of record for more than 40 minutes and like we'd only do this like once a month maybe twice a month if we were very very lucky so it's, it's, yeah. it's easier just to kind of go hey okay, let's just put a pause blah 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 um, if it works because otherwise it's like 25 bucks a month and it's like I don't yeah, understand if you're yeah. if you're like a, a business and you're using it all the time great makes sense sure but you know we're, we're hardly um, diplomacy entrepreneurs yeah so if anyone knows of another program which does it that makes it well we don't care if it's just as flaky as Zoom yeah, you know, yeah. yeah anyway yeah look should we just jump up to the interview what we have of it what we have of it and, and apologies uh, to brad but you know and, and, and to apologies to our audience um want to you know we're hoping for a bit more on the other side of that 40 minute mark all right off to it welcome brad to uh the Pomacy games uh podcast i'm ken and gavin is my co-host over there um but you know the, the shit already you met us already <laughs> Yeah, well, this is for our listeners, of course, yeah. Um, 
I had the pleasure, well, we both had the pleasure of uh, meeting you at the most recent World Diplomacy Championships over in Thailand. So I guess um, just starting off, how did you um, come to be there? I understand it was your first tournament. It was my third, I think, but it was my first World Championship. And I've never really told the story of how I got into diplomacy, but it was more so, I think my uncle showed me a game of Risk on his new iPhone when I was like nine or ten years old. And I was more enamored in the game, the fact that there was a new touchscreen <laughs> touch phone. He, I think that's why he was showing me it, but I was more interested in the game. So he told me how to play, whatever. And I spent like not, like however many years with that sort of knowledge in the back of my head. I play it occasionally. And I played a bit of chess, but I was mostly into like social strategy, reality TV shows and stuff. And I was like, that was my sort of big obsession. And then randomly youtube recommended a video of me of uh diplomacy and i was like that sounds fun that sounds like a bit of social strategy a bit of risk a bit of just everything i was looking for so i spent like a month just watching diplomacy content like trying to learn and eventually i got to the point where i was like you know what i better give this game a go like i've been spending way too much time just watching the content so then <laughs> so then i was like okay i'll give it a go played a few games on backstabber and you know, this normal public game quality you'd expect. And I was getting bored because I just, like, was doing well constantly and there wasn't, like, that much of a challenge. So I decided, you know, I'm going to, like, jump onto Discord and find the best players in the world because that, that surely will give me the interest. And it just went from there, basically. I started playing in online tournaments, playing Extended Deadline. And then I think I played a press game with Riaz and he invited me to go to Cascadia. So vancouver and i was like you know what why why not i've never played face to face before but i'll fly to vancouver to play first time why not and then from there i just got hooked like i played another tournament in the uk and was just looking for some a face-to-face -face thing to go to and world was the best the best shout in my opinion so yeah decided to go to thailand we're getting a connecting to audio okay can you hear me now there we go yes yeah we can yes it's yep. okay. So it's good to know that um, we're having just the same shit experience, regardless of the technology. So I definitely put it down to user error. <laughs> oh, no. I, I think before we left, Brad, you were talking about how you kind of just took a plane and went over to Thailand. So um, did you want to just take it up from there? Uh, so, yeah, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Ken um, was asking a, a new question just as it stopped recording. I think. Oh, I was just—I was just about to um, ask a question. Um, I guess the question yeah, was, and how was your experience in Thailand, Brad? You came in, and your name was one of the ones that uh, I definitely heard early on as being a serious contender. So that's interesting because I looked around the room and was terrified of most people. I did oh. not consider myself a contender <laughs> at all. Um, so I'd won like one small UK event, but I, I, I looked, I was like, there's 15 people here that are easily better than me. But the experience in Thailand was great, you know, just completely different culture, new experience. It was it was great. But the, the actual diplomacy, it was like, eh, the first three games were the best I could do in a situation. And then I messed up the last game and missed the top board. So the actual games itself was fun, but 
the the entire experience was what made it really the people as well like just being at the bar until like half two for no reason even though you had to get up the next day it was that was the fun part for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and how how often do you get the opportunity to just talk your favorite game with like-minded people for for, for days straight um yeah, it, it, yeah maybe it, it, maybe once a year i travel like at least outside of europe like that's sort of my plan is once a year i'll do something and that that, that was my one chance this year that, that that was your that was your trip this year um yeah. I noticed recently that you did very well on the virtual world diplomacy championships. You, you you ended up on the top board. Yeah. So I, my first day was great. I mean, I played twice as England and it turns out that I really like England as a country. I didn't know that before a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I ended up being in first after the first three rounds, which was just mind blowing to me. And then the second day went okay, stayed in like, I ended up fifth or something. And then, yeah, I made another top board, so that's a lot of fun. Even if, even if I didn't play great on the top board, it's still a fun experience to be on one. Well, you you, you pulled Turkey, which is a hard a hard one to to pull on the on on any board. No, I, no, I, I Russia, pulled Turkey. Russia. So here's a fun story, actually. So I was uh, the fifth seed, and I was expecting okay, there's probably either Russia or something in the West. Turkey and Austria Romania and I came into that top board wanting to play Turkey I feel it's one of the nations I'm pretty good at yeah and I, I just decided you know what I'm gonna play it and if I can get out of the box I've got a good shot at this so I'm there planning to play Turkey uh France Germany and Italy go fair, fairly standard and then the guy in fourth Nicola decided to use a random generator for like to pick his nation he just picked at random and the randomizer gave him Turkey. So I didn't oh. even get the nation I wanted. <laughs> so then I was like, I was looking at it. I was like, Jesus, England's available. Why is everyone avoiding England? And I just panicked and picked Russia because I didn't understand why people were <laughs> avoiding England. I was like, what? What's going on here? So I that was probably a mistake, but I picked Russia. And yeah, it was wasn't too bad. Well, you did you did quite did quite well. Turkey was eliminated quickly though, wasn't it? Is that is that you, you practically replaced Turkey. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to so, think back to the DBN broadcast. Yeah, so what happened essentially is there was an AI fight, like already committed to fighting Turkey, and I came into the game with a plan of sit back, don't be aggressive, take my opportunities and just take the easy dots if someone's being attacked. It's like there was an FG attack in England, I grabbed Norway in 1902, right? It was just, I'm not even the bad guy in that situation, there's already an FG. And with Turkey, Austria and Italy just jumped on him. And I had the choice of basically Turkey or like stick with the AI. And I decided to go with Austria and Italy, take an easy dot, take the easy dots. And Turkey never saw me as the enemy, which is a mistake I kept making in the past. I'd be very aggressive, very committal. And it ends up making you, you make yourself a, an enemy to someone. Right, and you don't want to do that in diplomacy, even if you're attacking someone. And Turkey ended up just being like, "Yeah, I understand where you what you did. That's fine." He he tried to make deals and get me to not take all of his dots, but I ended up as a Russia with all of Scandinavia and all of Turkey and nothing else at one point. 
And I, I think that was the same time that Austria stabbed me for Romania. And I was like, you know what? You, you keep that. I don't care. I'm getting Smyrna and Con. Like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what yeah. happened there, Brad? Were you kind of literally like just taking just one dot at a time from Turkey and Turkey? You went, oh, well, you're not being so much of an asshole compared to everyone else. So it's kind of, if anyone's going to take my dots, I guess it's you. Oh, no, this is even funnier. Right. So I went like in all of O2, I decided to just walk into the Black Sea, have an army in Sev ready to drop down into Armenia. So spring 03, I dropped down into Armenia. All's going great. And this is as I've been stabbed for Romania. And I'm like, tactically, the only way to take Ankara here is to convoy Sev to Ankh with support from Armenia. While Austria's just stabbed me and is in rum. So I can't tell Austria I'm doing it. I'm just telling them, hey, tap con so I can get Ankara and you can keep rum. It's fine. <laughs> and I'm just telling him this. And I misorder the Black Sea. I convoyed <laughs> Sev to Black and I didn't even get Ankara. So I ended up going down one. <laughs> it was it was the most ridiculous thing. But I end up the very next turn, I think it was like spring 04, I do the convoy the exact same way, but I make sure I order it correctly. And then the following turn, I just support myself into Smyrna, and it worked. Oh, brilliant. Uh, like it, it was a complete mess, but it worked exactly how I wanted it to work, even though it was a mess. <laughs> so was there any um, learning that you made or having experience from the World Diplomacy Championship that you brought to the virtual World Diplomacy Championship? Yes, and it was essentially I'm a little like i'm maybe 10 percent too aggressive right it's it's good to be assertive and it's good to you know try and dictate the play but if you're just being constantly aggressive and it's my plan or like whatever and you get stuck in this mindset of i've got to do one thing when instead you just focus on the diplomacy and see the opportunities open up and that was the main lesson i learned it was just the best players are consistent for a reason and it's because they don't go out being aggressive and make enemies they purposefully set it up to where the diplomacy is good and then they can take a, care of the opportunities when they arise right and they follow the god they do all that that stuff that makes them the great players so i was like i'm be and it was a conversation with both jamal and dan and bo both like the two most recent world champions and i'm just there like if they're both saying I'm probably i'm a little bit too aggressive they're probably right <laughs> so i took the edge up well in order to qualify for the top board, I actually did the opposite because it's online play and everyone's more aggressive. And I just went all in on like fast, high tempo, aggressive alliances. And, you know, I'm, I'm used to that. So it worked. But on the top board, I was like, no, I'm going to play the correct way. I'm going to sit back, let the diplomacy take care of itself and win that way. And it was going really well until I got a little too cute. Like I... I feel like I was in an opportunity to win and then I completely mess up the entire game in one turn. It was incredible. That's 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 the breaks. Um, I mean, it's, it's diplomacy, things that, that can happen. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of my fond memories I'm going to have of World Diplomacy Championship 2023 is sitting there on the shadow board watching the moves go by and... Um, and you and I basically looking at each other going, we need to talk about this. Let's go and go outside and, and and talk this out because this is so exciting, what's going on, the strategy and all of that tactics. Um, I guess 
I, I just wish I think that I had a recorder going then and there to record our conversations because there were some really fascinating insights that you were having as the board was going on. And I know Gavin was actually on the board, uh, yeah. but is that that kind of way of because you you're you're sort of coming from it from a virtual diplomacy environment a lot and being able to analyze that strategy of the board is 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 still a real a real strength Brad. yeah well the thing is diplomacy is a great spectator sport if you understand the game i mean watching that top board as a spectator is just incredible and there were a couple of times where i was like Oh, I, I have to step outside because I need to say something, but I can't say it in front of the people playing the game. Like it, that we it was such a hard balance of I want to get excited, but I can't see everyone else getting excited. Like everyone can't see me. I might affect the game. And I was like, oh gee, I'm just gonna leave the room so I can be excited about this. Yes. Um there was a bunch of the, the funny part about that is so my last round, my fourth round, was on the Sunday morning. So I had like an hour before, like the night before, I was like, how does the top board go if I'm on it, right? And I was trying to think of all these predictions in my head of like who would necessarily work with who. I Like I thought about it all. You can't do much research, but because everyone's in person, they're not, there's not like online where you can just research how people play all the time, which I tend to do quite a bit just to understand how people think. Um, but when you're in person, I was like, okay, this person might work for this person, blah, 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 blah. And I, I looked at it and then 1901 happened. I think Kenny could attest this. I was like, this is going to happen. And then it happened. This Absolutely. Is happen, it, did. it, it did. Absolutely. I, I, it was, it was the most frustrating thing for me. And I could, I think you could tell that I was frustrated because I was like, Jesus, if I'm predicting it this well, how would it have been if I was on that top board? Like, Oh my God. And Hey, who knows? Maybe being in the middle of the game, I, don't predict anything and i get completely screwed like that that can definitely happen one you change one person the entire game's changed but i think i think think, well sorry i was just gonna say i think from memory brad you end up coming eighth in the tournament so you were just literally popped out of the top board so it was ninth but it was it was essentially the last game was me or eddie basan were gonna make it and oh there's a there's a funny one so I decided to, like, I was running an alliance with England. I was France. And Eddie was in Italy. I was like, yes, that's great, because I can, we can, I can get my dots from Germany, and I can ensure I beat Eddie. That's great. And there was a point where England was going up three and didn't even offer me Belgium, so it would have been like eight to five. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to attack England. And, like, otherwise I'm never going to get a good enough score to make the top board in the first place. So I do that while he's going plus three which isn't the greatest starting point, but, you know, tactically it's working out. And there was a point in that game where I tried a convoy to Clyde and the guy in England misordered and wrote Eddie to Liverpool to cover it instead of Clyde to Liverpool. Therefore, Clyde held and I didn't get my convoy off. And oh, no. I genuinely believe I make the top board if it wasn't for that. Like I genuinely believe if that convoy goes through, I'm on the top board. I reckon it would have been a very interesting outcome based on the Paris method. You would have still come in seventh. So it would yes. mean you would have got Germany by default. And that would yep. have just, I think that would have just totally changed the dynamic of that board from the beginning. I oh, I can tell you. I'd love to have seen what would have happened then. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what I would have done. And that is, 
work with Russia in an RG because I knew England and France would have fought. Like knowing Brandon and Peter were in England and France, I know they're going to fight. Russia's my best friend. Just let me play in the West. And I would have just like tried to fight them both and play them off each other and, and keep Russia just playing in the South. And knowing how the top board went with Doc losing to you guys, I was like, that could have been a really good plan. Like people would have balanced me in. Like Jamal would have came to the line and said, "Hey, I'm going to put pressure on Munich now because you're doing too well." And or I could have just got completely destroyed by Brandon because he's amazing. Like there's there's so many ways it could have gone, but that would have been my sort of plan as Germany is just work with Russia. Well, now I'm glad that, that actually you weren't on the top board. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't have come south. I wouldn't have come east and messed I around. Have a, a I would... Bloody Doc would have come and taken me out. So, you know. <laughs> ah, you had that covered, mate. <laughs> you you had that sorted. <laughs> I do have to ask, can I ask a question? Because we were, as I said, we were oh, covering that it. top board. And in 1901, the one thing I didn't predict was you building an army in 1901. And Ken got it spot on. He knew exactly what you were going to do. I had no idea. I was like, you build a fleet here as Turkey. Like, I know how to play Turkey. You build a fleet. And then you think, and then it works for you. And I'm kind of, I want to see if that's a tool I can use. Like, how did, what was that decision-making process? And then, so I, I'm, try, I'm trying to still learn. That's why, like, I'm, you probably saw me in person. I was constantly asking everyone questions. Like, I'm still trying to learn. And that one was one that I didn't get, but it worked out. <laughs> Look, the main reason for, for the army was just flexibility, really, at the end of the day. Um, building a fleet would have sent a very aggressive move towards Italy and Austria. At the time, I kind of felt that I was probably more likely to work with them. And the army gave me the flexibility if I decided to turn on Doc. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, I'll be the interviewee now. <laughs> I'll step back. Stop them at all. <laughs> Feel free to ask yeah. any questions along the gonna, way. I'm just going to top up my glass. Just yeah. you guys keep talking though. Did Brad? Did you have a favourite game from the from the diplomacy championships that you that you played? If if one game stood out, what was your what was your favourite? Was it the first, second, third, fourth? Okay, it was, and you'll like this because you it was the one we got to play together. It was the Jamal, me and Dan, like yeah. the game where and, I played Russia, shit. that was... I was Germany. Was and the then, um, yes, it was. So yeah, it was... Yeah, yeah. And that is the best game of diplomacy I've ever played. Like the... That, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, I got stabbed terribly by Dan and he did in such a way as it was to make it it was a fun stab like it was a brutal stab but it was fun and I, I just want for the record i did warn you like a minute before that you were getting stabbed because i knew that you were going to you and did let me you know in... you did let me know you and did you did not know. believe me it was all it was a whole thing oh and that whole... <laughs> this was enough time to change orders <laughs> You know what? That's fair. The, the The reason that's my my favorite game ever is because they were both like Jamal and Dan were both playing such an incredible game, and yeah. I knew like I can get a result from this, but I also need to make sure one of them doesn't run away with it. So I was like negotiating with Joel to make sure that our side of the board was balanced. I think I went to him like three or four times, being like, 
this Italy-Russia alliance is balanced in your favor. Can you fix that? And he just looked at me and was like, it's not, it's completely balanced. What are you talking about? I'm like, I know the strategy. Like, no, you've got me here. Like, can you back off? <laughs> and it kind of worked, but also he just never admitted he was in a great position, which was really funny. And then with Dan, I was like, I had to poke him just enough to make sure he can kill you fast and get to like 40. But at the same time, if I poke him too much, then he just like lets Italy roll. So it was this ridiculous balancing act between two incredible players. And I somehow just squeezed out a result that didn't seem possible. And it's the my, the most fun I've ever had on a diplomacy board because it was that stressful. And it was just incredible to play. And, and well, in retrospect, now we know that we were playing against two world champions. Well, yeah, you know, we didn't know that. At the one time. To be. Yeah, so um, yeah, we didn't know that at the time. You could kind of tell. You could you could tell that the people who were in the running to win the world championship from early on, there was three or four people in the back of my head. I was like, you're probably one of the winners. And Jamal was on that list. The calibre of people at, at the tournament was, was, was fantastic. Yeah, that, it was something else. <laughs> it definitely was different to anything I've ever played in before. Now, jumping back a little bit, Brad, you said you know, along the lines of trying to play 10% less aggressive. What what does that look like for you? How, how does that translate? So I'm quite a high tech. Like, if I had my dream way of playing, it would be I find an ally and we're both just going to optimise the tactics to make sure we both steamroll the board. That yeah. is my favourite way to play. I've done a Russia and Austria alliance where we both were on 11 in 1904. I've done, like, and it that ended with a nice Russian solo in 06 because Austria left themselves too open. But it was, you know, it was, like, that's the type of style that fits, like, how I play. And, be, and this might just become when I first started, right? So I started playing just backstabber public games. And the way you win those, like, if, like, it's kind of simple. You find an ally, you make them trust you, you run the entire board, and then you stab your ally for the solo. That's like it's cookie cutter. It's simple, and you just win. Like can you you can win consistently just doing that style. And maybe it's because I started having success early. Like I was winning those games when I first started. I got into the bad habit of thinking that's how you should play. Right. So when I started playing against really good people and t started taking defeats for the first time, it was it was only like a, I'd been playing diplomacy a year before I started consistently losing. Like, and you, when you first start, you should be consistently losing so you can learn how to get better and learn where your mistakes are. I wasn't learning where my mistakes were because it was working when I first started. So the 10% less aggressive idea is I'm very sort of run with an alliance, crush the board type. But if my alliance partner is a slow and steady, I'm just going to play the entire board. And I'm like jumping to like say... I'll get. I'll give you an example from that Russia game. I was wanting to work with Jamal, and I was constantly saying, "Hey, can we just jump on Austria here now? I've got like we've got the opportunity." And it was better for him to wait, and it was better for me to go for it. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly telling me, "Just lay off him, like lay off him for now." And it it worked great for him, but I needed to make the move with him. Otherwise, I give him all the control. Like right. I could not stab Austria without him being okay with it, because then he can pick between 
defending Austria and pushing me back and working with me to squeeze. So that sort of, I should focus less on the push with an alliance, even if I found a good one, and more on just making sure I'm defensive, making sure I'm in a good position and not be as pushy. Because, and this is the thing coming from an online uh, point of view, is that you have to be assertive just over voice call to sort of get your point across is what I found in that you have some new players who just, they go with the person who sounds the most confident or they go with the person who seems like they know what they're doing the most. So Mm -hmm. if I'm being assertive and I'm saying, this is how we can run an alliance, like these are the tactics, this is how we do it. That works on newer players. That works on people looking for that experience and looking for that confidence. It doesn't work on the best players in the world who know what they're doing and they know what they want to do to achieve. So that idea of playing less aggressive, it's not all the time. You're going to see me play aggressive games in the future. That's going to happen. But when you're playing against a higher quality of opposition, you have to almost lower that down and just play play, play the game as it was intended. Play the balance of power a little bit. Play the slow and steady, I'm eventually going to get there idea. That's the idea of playing less aggressive anyway. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Alright, um, I, I was making, I was however making notes throughout it, but I'm not sure Excellent. how far we got to it, um, inside there. Well regardless, I mean, regardless, it's a good point though. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the, the idea of being that, that 10% less aggressive as, as an approach is, is going to hold you know, good stead, I think it's probably a good way of looking at maybe the board in the game in general mm. like, do you have to be aggressive to win is the question there was some um, one of the other things that we did when we were at WDC and you weren't well, actually there was a couple of things we did right um, at one point in time you started doing these random recordings in the lead up to the top board which and were very part of it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're probably not long enough and, and useful enough because they kind of stop after a period of point of time. Yep. Um, but one thing I did at the end of the third game, just before we went to, um, you know, we had that, that massive oh, the, lunch yeah, the, yes. that was in that fantastic food. It was cheap as and fiery as all hell. It was wonderful. Yep. But um, a number of us who had been finished our games at the end of game three, I think you must have still been playing, went to that bar called Devilish. Okay. And, yep. um, but because of the weird licensing rules in Thailand, it was utterly bizarre. They weren't able to serve alcohol until the three o'clock or four o'clock or whatever. So, um, we kind of, we went there initially and just had like, you know, waters and sodas and stuff before we went to the main thing. But the main thing I wanted to get at with all that, with your 10% less aggressive, is that, and for listeners who are interested, we have got a recording that will be in, I don't know, a couple of weeks' time on our Patreon feed, which is actually a conversation with a number of players at that point of time. And one of the things that both Chris Brandt and um, Jamal are talking about is that whole concept, of very similar to what you were saying about that 10% less aggressive, but in different way, different, sorry, different language. Hello, how are we doing? Good. Good, thank you. Okay, getting some more drinks. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, I think, one of the main things, and, and again, people can listen to it if they want to become a patron. Two bucks a month. Chicken feed. 
Um, but I'll kind of do it with a sneak peek. You know, Chris was talking about that idea of there were many times he actually in his games he had the opportunity to stab. Right. But he was looking at that broader picture of what's required in that game and in the tournament. And it was very much of the similar philosophy to Brad's be 10% less aggressive. Playing the playing the personalities game. Well, not 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 painting no. such a big target on your back by being somebody who seems to be out overly ruthless. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah when, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, being mindful of when's the right time to be ruthless and more specific. So that was some very good advice. So a couple of weeks' time, if you're a Patreon, you'll be able to listen to that, those and many other interesting things. Yeah, yeah. check it out. Check it out. But the other thing I want to say, oh, so you want to go first. No, 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 go. I was just going to say about, and, and I can't remember if this was in the bit that we recorded or not recorded with, with Brad, is the fact that he's only been playing like really into it for like was it two years two, three, three years, years? Yep, yep. but he's just like so into it so into it yeah, he 100%. just loves it yeah. so much I mean he's obviously very much a um, well known within that virtual player sense and online play yeah um, but he's such a young bloke he's like got a, such yeah. a he's got such a air quotes diplomacy career in front of him yeah I, I reckon he's going to make waves in the uh, in the European circuit for sure in, in, in England but not further yep um, there was one thing that did come up and it was towards the very end of our conversation so it wouldn't have been recorded uh, but the, the the topic arose around how the best players control the board right so how is it that you can make yourself into that space that you're controlling the diplomatic narrative of the play yeah and we had a good long discussion around how well the personalities on the board make make a big difference um, but also how to how does one narrow that down or improve your ability to control that diplomatic space how to how to uh, be the one that everyone's talking to, as opposed to maybe a bit on the outer, as opposed to on, on that in, in time frame. Yep. So, yeah, that was a, it's an interesting thing to think about moving forward. How that, well, it's, it's called diplomacy for a reason, and how important that is to the actual success of the player on the board, I guess. Yeah. Because it's not mm. just the tactics. No, no, you, that's a great point. There's, there's some stuff there I'm going, hmm, I'd like to have a conversation with you more, but it's not even, it's not on a normal episode, it's not even a patron episode, it's a, a you and me conversation. I've got some oh, things yeah, I want okay. to talk about that, but yeah, great yeah. point, great point. How are you going on your games online? Oh, yes. Um, so, before we do, before we do that, yeah. One thing we did do in Thailand is we did talk a little bit around the... So, yeah, sorry, we said to pause for a second. I kind of lost the train of thought. But, um, yeah, I was going to say, one thing we did when we were in Thailand, though, was we did have this great conversation on the bus heading back from the waterfall um, yeah. cascade type of area yes, around a variant that we kind of created on the bus which I thought was one of the yeah. best 
conceptual variants I've ever heard of, and there's lots of great ones. So I don't want to be kind of saying that you know we're the masterminds of variants and ducks nuts, but <laughs> because we're this not. was really, really interesting. So should we, for our listeners, describe what? concept yeah go for it go for it oh no no you, you oh you start, so, so i think i think we, we threw around a couple of different working titles i think at the moment something like just empire or whatever like that it's, it's yeah, set we'll, we'll settle on we'll settle on a name we'll settle on a name for you later, we'll, later we'll, we'll, we'll yeah we'll we'll market test it <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go with the best voted most voted for our listeners maybe. but i think the idea was it was it was set around the time of the spanish-american civil war that's right so the, the counterfactual is what if the Spanish-American War drew in the other European powers of the time yes. into conflict? But there were some other small counterfactuals that we will get to to make it a more balanced board, right, right. which we'll, we'll kind of discuss. But essentially it's like you're playing across four independent maps. Well, four distinct regions, regions yes. of, of a single map. And the first region would be Southeast Asia. The second region would be uh, part of Europe. The third region would be sort of West Africa. Yep. And the fourth region would be the uh, the Caribbean. Yes, Caribbean. Yes, Caribbean and just the tip of the tip of South South America. America. And I think the European one was the the tip of the north of Africa or whatever like that from memory. Yeah, but slicing Eastern Europe out of it. Yes, correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. um, and, And. Missing Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah, missing all that shit. Yeah. Yep. So I think we talked about having six players. It'd be a six-player game. Yeah. There was uh, England. Yep. America. Yep. Spain. Yep. Holland. Yep. Portuguese. Portugal. Yes. Portugal. And there was another. The French. The French. The French. Yeah. Now, it's pretty easy to conceptualise those powers um, as being powers in Europe. So, you know, if you can visualise what... Except for America and Europe. Yeah, and that's our first counterfactual. Mm, so, tell us about that one. So, um, so we, we're having a small suspension of disbelief, but it is based on a reality. Yep. And um, we'll have to go back and actually double-check the exact details in the, in the history books, i.e., Google it on Wikipedia or something. But this is why we but need the northern tip of Africa for this. That's right. So there was a period of time where the American Navy was sent over to North Africa to fight the Barbary pirates. Right. So the counterfactual being introduced here is that the first counterfactual, actually, I think, are all the counterfactuals based on America? I think they are. Just to uh, kind of get them in the right spot. But anyway. Yeah, we'll get to it. Um, and the counterfactual is that the Americans, for one reason or another, got involved, protracted, ended up becoming the colonisers or colonial power, so to speak, in North Africa. Right. So when I say North Africa, it's kind of like that top northern bit of Morocco and top northern bit of Algeria type of area. Now, listeners, we need you to hold your sense of disbelief in check because we'll explain what we mean by powers and power balances once we've described each of the regions of, Correct. of, of the board. This is an important um, thing, to, thing to... But hopefully to everyone will then to. understand that Western Europe type of thing. If you know where England is, you know where Holland, France, Spain, Portugal, that makes that bit easy. Yep. Then you just got to go, OK, so America, America is in that North Africa component. And I can hear people crying out, but, but Ken and Gavin... France is so powerful on the continent and, and, and Holland is so weak and how are you going to balance America 
with just presents in, in the Barbary Coast, but we will get to that. We will get to, to that. that. We will get to that. That's, uh, that's one of the wonderful new innovations within this particular variant. Uh, Southeast Asia uh, will have, uh, again, you've got the friend Indochina, the English with the presence in Malay. Yes, well, I think we were looking at uh, England just in Malay from memory. Or Myanmar, maybe? It was, it was one of those oh, two. Oh, yeah, some, some of those things. Yeah, Singapore, yeah, yeah. maybe. But we'll just yeah, somewhere we'll around, that. around that one. But um, not, we weren't going to include Hong Kong from memory, no. Yeah, that was a bit too far north yeah, a bit too for, far away, for, yeah. for, for the geographic region. Um, the, the, the Dutch in Indonesia. Yep, Dutch East Indies. Uh, the Portuguese. In uh, East Timor. East Timor. Uh, the, Which is correct. Which is correct. The the Americans in um, Philippines. The Philippines. Which is correct. And the Spanish. Oh, I see. No, the Spanish would have been the Philippines. Well, where are we going for the Americans? Well, the Americans, we can put them in. Maybe we have them. Maybe we have. This is the moment where there's conflict between America and Spain, and they both maybe we split well, this the Philippines. Is part of the American-Spanish. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, so, so, yeah, so there's a split there. America maybe starts with that a single possession. good thinking on the, on the fly. Good thinking on the fly, <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, I remember at one stage, I remember that was the one thing we hadn't worked out, but now we've worked it yeah, out. we've just worked it out. Uh, we've got uh, West Africa, so we've got uh, the, the... So, West Africa is from that um, sub-Saharan Africa. Yep. Down and like that slice that kind of goes through to you know the south of South Africa and upwards a little bit before cutting off around I don't know Kenya Mozambique area. Yeah, um, and we were coming arming and arming around you know including Madagascar as like a little um, offshoot on it, but we figured we didn't need to no, do we didn't need that it. No, because no. we can have the we can have the Portuguese in. Um, I think we had the Portuguese in Mozambique. Mozambique. Uh, the the Spanish in the not the Azores. It was in the no. It was um, in the Canary Islands. Canary Islands. So up in that. Yeah. So we're going to have to probably geographically just shut the Canary Islands a, a few degrees south. Well, we could have like a little inlet inset. An inset. An inset. Yes. Correct. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's connected. That would work. Yeah. That would yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. Um, You've got the Dutch, obviously, with the Boers. Well, yeah, so this is kind of assuming that the Boers are, rep- are representations of the of, of Dutch colonial Dutch powers. Colonial power. Um, as well as, obviously, the we have to work out where we stick the British because they're obviously also in bits of South Africa, you know, going up to Rhodesia and whatever, but we'll work that out. We'll work that one out, so we'll balance that out a little bit. We've got the, uh, the, the French, obviously, uh, around the Ivory, on the Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast area, Golden area. Coast, yep. Um, and... Who's the other one? We uh, the Americans. Where's the Americans on this one? So this was another. This is another counterfactual. Um, and there was a period of time in America's history where there was an attempt to actually create a uh, a colonist environment over in Liberia. Correct. There was, wasn't it? Basically, the idea of um, how do we create an environment where I think it was at the time emancipated American slaves who no longer want to be in America but want to return to the African homeland, even though obviously it's no guarantee at all that this is going to be their ethnic homeland, can kind of go back and start afresh within... um, It's kind of a misadventure... It it didn't work out very well in reality. But um, But, but, yeah, we'll we'll call that one the America America in in, in Africa for the purpose. Is. And of course, the last, last one is the Caribbean. So yes. uh, the Dutch have a presence in uh, North South Africa, uh, South America. So do the French. Uh, yeah. So the Dutch have various bits and pieces around there. 
um, so did the, the French, so did the English, the, yeah. obviously the Spanish. We were having them in Cuba because they still have been part of Cuba as part of the beginning of that Spanish-American war. Correct, yep. Um, obviously North America and North America, America. and yep. um, the Spanish in, uh, around Mexico, was it? Uh, no, it was around Cuba. Cuba. Yeah, they okay, still had yeah, Cuba, yeah. Yeah, Cuba and um, Puerto Rico. Yeah, but that's the Spanish-American War, so we've got to include... Yes, but we've got to work out... Yeah, but that's, that's where the Spanish are. Yeah, yeah, and the Portuguese. So, the Portuguese, where were we doing Portuguese? Oh, we were doing a little bit of small, again, creative... You know how you talked about the inlet yeah. for uh, Canary Islands? Right. We were having, again, a small suspension of disbelief that the uh, independence movement within Brazil didn't happen. Okay, and that Brazil is still part of the Portuguese Empire. Well, that it's about to happen and it's just a, you know, yeah, a bit delayed a couple of years. Now, each of those regions will have a standing, essentially a standing neutral army yes. representing the kind of the indigenous or the, the, the independent oh. power of, and, of the region. Correct. Um, so, the uh, Southeast Asian quadrant would have Siam, mm-hmm. which is uh, as, as a standalone neutral army and power. Uh, Europe was going to have... What was Europe going to have? Switzerland? Oh, was it no, Belgium? Belgium. Oh, yeah, yeah Belgium. Yes. Everyone's got to fight over Belgium. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, that easily slides into the West African slot of uh, the Belgium Congo. Congo, being yep. a standalone uh, army. And, of course, the uh, the Caribbean's going to be Haiti, having a yes. standalone um, independent yes. um, um, army representing its neutrality. So they're standing neutral armies. Yep. Now, the concept is that you can't travel between the quadrants from one quadrant to the other. Yeah, so you can't have you can't have a fleet sitting in Europe and sail it from that quadrant into Western Africa or into the Caribbean, right? That's what we're thinking at the moment. At the moment, yeah. So they're they're standalone, discrete sections of the board. And the way we have, the way we're wanting to model it is that every power starts strong on two quadrants and weak on two other quadrants, yeah? So the easiest way to do this in a number of ways to say, okay, strong, a strong presence, you start with two armies, so, yep. and a weak presence, you only start with a one army in that quadrant, yeah? So in Europe, America would only start with one army in that quadrant, whilst in the Caribbean, they would start with two, yeah? Yes, because of America itself. West Africa, they would start in, with one, one unit, yep. and uh, in um, Southeast Asia, because of the Philippines, they start with two. Yeah, so they'll be strong in Southeast Asia and strong in the Caribbean, but weak presences in Europe and West Africa. Yeah. Every country, in that sense, will start with six units. In two quadrants, they'll start with two units, and in two quadrants, they start with one unit. Okay, and this way we hope to balance the, uh, the historical... Uh, the, historical accuracy of, yeah, of, of the, the region. Semi-historical the semi-historical accuracy. <laughs> um, but it'll also create a situation whereby a player may sacrifice a region to favour another section of the board. 
Yeah. Because the builds you have are not independent of the actual quadrants. They're part of your total builds. Part of your total builds, yeah. So let's say you're doing well on a land war in Europe as France. Do you continue building in the European um, sphere, the European conflict? Or do you uh, peel away one of those potential builds to keep you strong in Europe to shore up your defence in uh, Southeast Asia? Yeah, yeah. Or do you go, okay, well, you know, I want to keep my units strong in Southeast, in, in Europe for this land war. I'm going to neglect my overseas possession in a quadrant that I'm not so strong in. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, okay, it, it creates some really interesting diplomatic narratives to say, okay, well, you know, we might be, you know, we might not be at, 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 in a hot war in Europe, but let's just say my unit in Southeast Asia could be a benefit to you. Maybe if you were to assist me in this, uh, this support theater, in this other yeah. theatre, this one over here could be your um, your little janissary unit. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, so it creates all this uh, quite an intriguing game. Because it could also create a situation where somebody, the win conditions might be they may actually not control any of the quadrants as a majority, but across the board as a whole, they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so you might dominate a whole... Europe. Yeah. You might own all of Europe, but just get eliminated everywhere else, and as a result, still not have the ability not, to win. Not the ability to win. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got to keep an eye on your um, overseas possessions. Um, and, of course, the reason we wanted to have the standing armies as well was to give it flexibility for a, a face-to-face game to go, well... You know, we could play with the with the six, or we could play with seven players and one person controlling the um, the neutral armies. As, as, a, as a just as a face to face option. We'd have to do something though with that because the neutrals have only got one in each location. So it'd either be a very weak player with four units rather than six, or we maybe we'd have to have a special rule then to introduce well maybe, uh, two maybe, other areas as being neutrals. But we can work that out later. Yeah, maybe. Maybe if you're the neutral player, then you get to transform your units and no one else can, or something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. But the idea behind the idea was also to have imperial builds, so you can only build uh, in supply centres that are home supply centres, either for yourself or for other people. Yep. Um, and that would restrict the the, the kind of um, build anywhere chaos that can happen but also um, give some flexibility and a bit more, a bit more of that historical currency to yeah, yeah. the importance of certain regions locations, and yeah. locations and also the, in the eyes of empire of the time. Exactly, and yeah. also the fact that at the time, you know, you do have situations where, you know, you'll have, lack of a better word, either trades between different powers saying, oh, well, you can now have, um, you know, Madagascar or whatever like that, Singapore's and in return, you know, how about you kind of give me Guyana? You know what I mean? Or yeah, the, yeah. I or really the need Guyana Island. because that that, that, so, that Portuguese player. And at the time, you know, in an imperial colonial world, it's like, yeah, sure, I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm just in for the, the supply center effectively. I don't care about the local people, which unfortunately is what the way things worked it's, at it's the an time. Unfortunate historical. Truth. And you know they yep. didn't care about that. But that also means that you have that ability to similarly just switch. You know that the the local subjugated people are still going to be subjugated people whether they're following a French master or a Portuguese master you know what I mean so they're still going to unfortunately at the time not the same level of independence movements to be able to 
overthrow. So it just means that that, that point of time it reflects that flexibility that you could create supply centres in your home centres that you begin with yep. or another power's home centres that you happen to have taken over and have the ability to build in. Oh, and I just thought of another little interesting thing that could happen. You could arrange for one of your units to be dislodged so you can, you can blow it up yep. without losing a supply centre and use that as a build somewhere else. So in a way, you could use that as a way to transfer units from one project to another by, by disbanding instead of retreating. Oh yeah, you could arrange yeah. for that to happen with an ally, for instance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you could, you could, you could, with an ally, split a quadrant and then blow up all of your units, bar one or two, and have them build elsewhere. Yeah. So, so there's lots of possibilities to it. And we think it'd be a lot of, it'd be a lot of fun. So, so the thinking process is already um, is, is, is started. Uh, the concept is there. The next step is to really just source some maps that would work uh, from from the point of view they can't be too detailed but at the same time they can't be too you know sparse i guess yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i was thinking of maybe jumping onto that wonderful uh, map resource out there uh, alternative history maps okay it's got some great just um it's got some great borderless maps of regions of the world right, okay. um, to, to, to grab and to use like down to down to an incredible level of detail some of these maps so yeah maybe troll through some of those forum threads and cool. find some appropriate ones and you know bring them along to share and we can actually nub it out on paper as to where certain regions might go where and then sort of move from there so and the idea being maybe we'll do a play test in, through a face to face game here in Brisbane yeah, in a few months' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep with us because this is going to be a long-running, um, a long. There'll, there'll, there'll be parts. Consider this part one be yes. the concept, yep. and uh, part two will be the, uh, the the some of that harder design yeah. type concept. Or would it be part two? Maybe more like the confirming the concept to. Uh, I don't know, but also don't forget, you know, we do have a number of awesome variant designers who listen to the podcast and they may have some suggestions themselves. So, um, And of course, like throwing it out there and saying, you know, for, for the sake of army giving, we're saying, okay, a strong power's got two units, two supply centres and, and one has a weak presence. It might, it might be that, you know, a strong power has three supply centres and... One, you know, so a weak yeah. presence is just one. Or it just oh, yeah, depends yeah. on the. I think. The, I think also it depends on the map because I think you need the ability, like Italy in classic, you need the ability to get at least one supply centre at the start. All regions will have. Everyone will have the ability. Yeah, everyone yeah. gets it. Everyone should be able to get. Even a weak power should be able to get a free pick. A, a unit for that region. Yeah, unless yeah. of course you know they're being. You know, Venice has been attacked by Trieste, and but which goes so yeah. bad luck. David Cohen often designs his maps so that. Yes, everyone has the opportunity to get a build, but no supply centre is a guaranteed supply centre. Yes, because he positions yeah. in such he a deliberately way. Deliberately positions yeah, 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 it right. to, be, to be like that. So that's another thing we need to think about, whether or not we want to make it so that, yes, everyone has the opportunity to, but no one's guaranteed mm. to get. So those neutrals, vacant supply centres at the beginning, yep. we also probably just need to, again, pay... 
uh, you know, look at what was the actual, you know, what were those historical areas you're talking about at the time? What were the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. what were the tribes that were strong, etc., like that, or you know, the, the regions, nations that were regions or, that maybe had um, a particular vital resource, resource like you know, uh, sort of stuff, you know, yeah. fuckloads of diamonds in Rhodesia and things like that. Yeah, and, and work it out from there. So, yeah, I mean, part one. Yeah, we'll just we'll wait and see, and um, you know, let us know what sort of ideas for the title. Uh, what was the working name? Like, I thought Empire, but I think you you had some. You had another one, which is like the decline of the Enlightenment or something like oh, that. Uh, enlightenment in decline or something like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll write it down. Uh, anyway, anyway, that big deal. Such as it is. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, we go. Excellent. Yeah. Do you want to just quickly talk about our face-to-face game? Not face-to-face. Fuck. Our um, online games. Um, I'm only playing in two. One oh, yeah. of them I'm doing well in. It's a gunboat. Um, it's kind of reaching a critical point. It's a larger map. There's like 30 players on it. Yep. World map. Uh, we're getting down to about eight players left. Maybe a few stragglers hanging on at the, at the bottom to make it up to 12 or something. Uh, so the last of the one or two power, one of the one or two hanger honors are getting eliminated now, yep. and it's turning into that clash of uh, powers. Clash and of the Titans. Clash of the Titans now. So uh, it, it, things are getting, yeah, things are starting to approach the start of the end game. Yeah, so we'll see how see how we go with that one. Uh, the other one, I'm just busy suiciding myself into the person who attacked me to start with. So. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and teach him a lesson. Teach a bastard a lesson. Bring him down with me, because um, he had no reason to attack me. You know, I was going obviously a different direction. Yep. And um, well, okay, well, serves you right. And surprisingly, I'm being kept alive by some. I, I, I think some friendly neighbours have seen that. That's precisely what I'm doing, and they're saying, "Have at it." You know, we're not going to. We're not going to eliminate you. You can keep on suiciding yourself against him. <laughs> we care. <laughs> so that, that that's my other one. <laughs> how about you? How are you going? Um, well, I've had uh, a couple of games that have recently concluded. One was a um, what they call it? Is it Ancient Mediterranean? The classic Mediterranean, or whatever that one. Yeah, that five-player one. Oh yes, yep, 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 yep. So I ended up, um, even though I was in a position where I could have soloed, I chose not to. But that was for. I think I, I, I made commitments to players and felt that I should follow through on those commitments. Okay, yeah. Which was to go to a three-way draw. Okay, yes. Which was good. Um, another game that I'm in, um, also recently finished, and that was a that was that Imperial game I think I've previously talked about. You're doing really well in that. And... But, but there were a lot of players that were doing really, really well in them. Okay. And... So we got to, we ended up becoming a draw, a six-way draw. Okay. Um, between, uh, let's see, I think I'll find the bloody thing my things. This is the one where you were Holland in the end? No, you no were... I was Britain. Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kicked off the European continent. Oh, oh, yes, you, yes. You then steamrolled through Africa and subcontinent India. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here it was. Called, the game was called Grow and Conquer. Who was in it? Um, okay, so... So, as I said before, I was playing as, as Britain. 
Uh, Prussia was uh, JL-like strat games. Okay. Mexico was coffee and keyboards. Okay. Japan was Severin. Severin. I've played Severin before. Uh, I've played coffee and keyboards as well. Yeah, so have I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Russia was steampunk Shogun. Oh, yeah, he's a strong player. Yep. And uh, Austria was Mikey99 up until the point that he CD'd with about two game years left to go. And then, out of the game. Yeah, and then he left the game and Hurricane bought his position. So, okay. um, this was a very interesting game and I really enjoyed this game because it was, I was testing a lot of things I learned from WDC on the board. And did, in it, my, did it work? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the number of times that I... Actually, it was also... It wasn't like I was doing something that was different. I just leaned into it more. Because... Um, you know, this is a game where I got smashed by Holland, as an example. Yeah. And then made up with Holland and basically said, you know, hey, just keep me in the game. I'm happy to do what you want, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. not quite janissary, but, you know, he kind of moved out and then I kind of stabbed him big time. Vicious. And same type of thing at the start, you know, I had some nice conversations with Brazil, but then, you know, Brazil, I was like, in the scrap. And then later on, I kissed and made up with Brazil. And then towards the end, I kind of stabbed Brazil again. So, um, so you got to pick your moments. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that, um, much the same way that Russia, myself as Britain, and Japan were like this block that never really changed you know what I mean like we kept away and like Russia and my borders were like vacant spaces for a quite considerable periods of time did they fill up at the end um, we just kind of strategically had like you know a couple of units just in the right spots far enough away from our borders to not be a threat there was a moment there where we, you know yeah that could have gone either way hey. could have yeah, could have, yeah. yeah. Um, but that in itself has been useful for me for planning for future games. Okay. Yep. But yeah, this Austria-Prussia alliance was like rock solid. And this is where, where, where you had a situation where as a result of all that, um, neither of which were making any inroads into myself in North Africa or Russia, who kind of pretty much was like Russia all the way down through to the Palestine area. Right. And um, it meant that Prussia's expansion was all over North America, you know what I mean? Going all the way almost to the west coast almost. Uh, Austria, you might remember, went all the way down into most of South America. Yeah, that's right, yep, yep, yep. But really then cool. Austria kind of went off the blink. Mikey 99 dropped out, Hurricane took over. Right. And a number of players kind of said, Prussia's pretty exposed right now if you want to stab him. <laughs> and he was like, and he kind of went, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I think no one expected him to. And he did. He did. He oh, did. oh, oh, oh. Okay. And how did Russia? Okay, yep. And so, Russia? Wait, okay, let's try. Russia was good with that. Yeah, yeah. Russia ended up kind of, then kind of moving his you know, lines back to about taking over Warsaw and everything okay, over again. Yep, and re retaking yep. Moscow. And um, as part of the arrangement, I kind of agreed with Austria that I would kill off. Because I I'd allied with Brazil against Austria. Right. As part of that making up and everything, so then as part of the deal, I had to kind of kill Brazil, so I killed Brazil um, with a yep. little bit of Austrian help. So we got down to six. I was interested in taking it down to four by continuing to. Who would you take out for four? Mexico. Okay. So Mexico is the, the weakest player in that, and yep. um, not, not because 
he's a weak player, but he was in the not the best position. He was in the weakest position. Weakest position. Ball, yeah. And then theoretically, we probably could have taken out Prussia, and then it would have been what happens there. But everyone was like, nah, let's do a six-way draw. So I did a six-way draw. That's good. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. And it's the uh, end of game statement's been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think it was something, one someone said. I think it was interesting. It was, um, JG likes strat games. Um, who was Austria, no, Russia, Prussia. And he did say, speaking of Britain, that's me. Hang on. It's still going up. 26, 25, 26, 27. It's going up. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Had to be worried for a second. Hang on. We won't worry about that. What did he say? I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to kind of blow, blow, you know, hot air up my ass. Ah, oh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting too big. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. We'll just leave it for another time. Oh, another, another time. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but anyway, so a couple of other games I'm in. I'm out the door, or I'm about to be out the door. Um, one's a, an anonymous game, but I'll talk about it now because literally the orders I've put in means that I'm going to be eliminated. It's like a, an American conflict game, which is again that suspension of disbelief. The American Civil War, what happens if it kind of has also had European players involved, powers oh, yes, involved. Yes, 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 and I drew Spain. Um, I've been progressively getting absolutely smashed and hammered by France largely. And my final thing to do was to retreat to Greenland so that Greenland will be Spanish forever. That's Because <laughs> I knew I couldn't get anything else. Uh, just paint, the, uh, paint, paint, paint that yeah. colour in your life. Yep. And then I'm in two other games at the moment, which uh, I think they might be both Europa Renovatio games, and doing not too bad. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Okay, I can't remember if those are anonymous or not, so we'll just we'll worry about those we'll for another day. One. Yeah. Okay, okay. Are you hankering for another face-to-face game at some point soon? I am, but I kind of reached out to the local community saying, what's your availability? And I had two people reply back. So I need to kind of follow up with them. I actually had on my to-do list on the weekend and never got around to it. Okay, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. The next one. Absolutely. Yeah. I did get, I did get that six-player um, six map variant that had been printed at WDC or yeah. in the mail. Uh, Lee Sarleeson, uh, who's one of the organisers of the WDC, um, has play tested that, uh, that that rigorously with uh, some of the other get Bangkok gaming crew, yep, yep. and so it, it's quite well um, well play tested. And it's currently actually Sasha reached out to me to, to to sort of say basically, well, what's the next steps to getting it ready, uh, getting it up on Beacon? Yeah, so. I sort of sent him the information needed and yep. sort of said, well, read this stuff and if, uh, if there's questions that come from that, let me know. Um, or if you struggle with any of those concepts or anything, just reach out. I've got my own variant to work on now. I've got my own variant to work on. But these are the files that you'll need to uh, be able to supply for them to make uh, a spot on the lab lab. Uh, for you to do your do that, do that stuff yet. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, the good thing about that one also short, means that, yeah, if we have a face-to-face game and six people, six only people turn up, we've got a backup. We've play. got a backup until so we've made the new, new map thingy, the, the new six player, yeah, new six player, new six player. Ah. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm Ken. I'm Gavin. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.